1: Why don't you burp next time? Someone get me Brian Anderson. Welcome to Paranormal Heart, a place where people can talk about their paranormal experiences With your host, Cat Ward, along with a special segment Oddities with John Mallard.
2: Welcome back, folks, to Paranormal Heart, your monthly paranormal podcast. You can find Boo and I the last Sunday of each month at 6 p.m. Eastern, and you can also find us on YouTube, radioandpodcast.com, Paranormal Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, as well as every Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern at imdarkwaters.com. And don't forget to show the love. Like, share, subscribe, or follow wherever you listen to the show. I'd like to give a little shout-out to some friends at After Midnight Podcast. Cap'n and the Meerkat, and the People Under the Stairs. They all have great podcasts that you really should check out. Tell them Cat and Boo sent you. Thanks so much, guys, for all your support. I really appreciate you guys. Before I get to my next guest, I wanted to let you in on some changes I've made to the show. I'm so excited to announce that I'll be adding a new segment called Oddities with John Mallard. John has a wonderful show of his own called Odd to Newfoundland Paranormal Podcast, and I'm so honored that we will be working together I'm really looking forward to seeing what odd things he'll come up with each show. Oddities with John Mallard can be heard right after the, I introduce my guest, followed by the interview. And please let me know what you think of John's new segment at ParanormalHeart13 at gmail.com. My next guest, Steve Stockton, has some pretty fascinating experiences to share with us. He's been fascinated with the paranormal ever since and has written a few books on the subject. He has a great YouTube channel called 13 Past Midnight that's 13 spelt out, not the number, where he narrates true creepy stories, and I'm so excited to speak with him. Let's welcome Steve Stockton, but first, enjoy Oddities with John Mallard.
1: Why hello my odd friends. Welcome to this month's Oddities on Paranormal Heart. It's soon time to pack up our cars, our vans, our trucks You know, pack our coolers neatly and just throw our kids inside those cars and go camping. Yes, it's true. It's coming. It's happening. Summer is just around the corner. And for a lot of us, it's time to hit up some theme parks. Well, this month on Paranormal Heart, guess what? We're going to be looking into odd theme parks. Because, I mean, you could go to Disneyland and have fun, or you could go to one of these perplexing places... How about Bonbonland? Sounds innocent enough, right? (laughs) Bonbon is a Danish company that makes candy with a toilet humor theme. Its most popular product is something called dog fart, by the way. Bonbonland, the fourth largest amusement park in Denmark, takes all of Bonbon's cartoon animal character mascots and turns them into rides and attractions the signature ride is a dog fart roller coaster, which winds around giant mounds of dog dew, pooping dogs, and giant speakers that play fart noises. I mean, what's not the love? Other attractions include a roller coaster through a sewer filled with fake feces, I might add, and vomiting rats, and statues of buxom cows and dogs lifting their legs. You get it. It's totally humor. It's disgusting. And it's uh, probably going to be on my to-do list. <laughs> As if as if visiting a park that's full of crap isn't, you know, fun enough. How about one that's so depressing you'll probably cry on the way home in the car? Yeah, I'm talking about Dickens' world. Almost all of Charles Dickens' literature takes place in a grimy, drab, 19th century England plagued by diseases, starvation, and dirty orphans. Hmm, enlightening and at dickens world in chatham england you can relive that horrible era every day of your life in addition to rides based on bleak dickens books such as oliver twist there's a great expectations boat ride the haunted house of ebenezer Scrooge, a pawn shop and a debtor's prison because you know what better place to take your kids than right to jail throughout the park hired actors pose as hungry filthy street urchins wow that my friend is an awesome idea I just wonder, you know, how how much do you think they're paying the ghost in Ebenezer's uh, haunted house? What do you think? (laughs) And last on my list for odd theme parks this month, certainly not least. Take a deep breath because this is about to get a little steamy. We're talking about Loveland. Yeah. The claim to fame of this park, located on Juju Island in South Korea, is its 140 giant, sexually explicit sculptures it's designed to be educational. Yeah, right. Neither South Korea's schools nor its popular culture offer much in the way of sex education, and arranged marriages are still very commonplace there. So this park was opened by the art department of Hongik University as a honeymoon destination. Because, I mean, nothing is better on your honeymoon than looking at gigantic rock, word that rhymes with rock, <laughs> Theoretically, newlyweds are supposed to study and learn from the opposing white sculptures of giant reproductive organs and people engaged in various sexual positions. No kitty rides here. You must be 18 or older to enter. <laughs> so there you have it, folks. Bon Man land, Dickens world, and Loveland. Odd theme parks. And they were your oddities for this month's episode of Paranormal Heart. Thank you so much for your time.
2: Hey Steve, welcome to Paranormal Heart.
1: Hi, Kat.
0: Happy to be here.
2: I'm I'm very happy that you're here. It's been rough trying to get together. We've had to reschedule what four times.
0: <laughs> yeah, we hadn't had a lot of little things happen there, but you know that that's the way it goes sometimes. And hopefully it was worth the wait and oh, or for you'll sure. think so anyway.
2: Yeah, it seems to be a normal for me lately that I have to keep rescheduling and This is why I don't do live.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, sometimes those are the best, the ones that, that take the most effort and the most tries to finally get there. And it's
2: yeah.
0: like, wow, this is great.
2: I always take it as a sign that if you're not meant to do it that, you know, at that point, that, that there's a reason why. So here we are.
0: Uh, absolutely.
2: Well, Steve, I know you have some interesting experiences and some awesome stories because of your show, uh 13. 13- Past midnight or after midnight? Past midnight. Uh,
0: past, past midnight. Yeah.
2: Which is awesome, folks! You need to check it out. I'll send the links at on the um, at the end here that you guys can click on and check out Steve's show. So go ahead, Steve.
0: Well, that was just something I sort of fell into by accident. I I listened to uh, horror narrators and, and things on YouTube, and I thought, you yeah, know, I, I can do that. And then I thought, well. I've got all these stories here why not just narrate my own stuff mm. so I started out just a couple here and there and I uh, found out I had a passion for it so I went ahead and invested a couple thousand dollars in uh, oh, wow. professional equipment and microphones and software and whatnot and I'm, I'm really having a ball with it plus it's breathed new life into my stories and and that's one thing that any storyteller will tell you that any time you get a chance, another chance to tell your stories, that's a good thing.
2: For sure, yeah, and I, and I love your stories. You have a great voice narrating those stories, and folks, Thank they're you. true. They're true creepy encounters too.
0: Yeah, for for the most part, there's a, a couple on there that are uh, just pure fiction that that I've done as favors for people, and I'm
2: mm-hmm. probably
0: going to do some more of that. But I I really like doing the true stuff because that that's what I've researched and, and written about and they're just I don't know there's something about the, the true stories I mean they're, they're allegedly true I don't vet anything I just I take everything pretty much at face value the way it was told to me just because mm-hmm. in most instances I had a really good relationship with the people and knew who they were and how they were and a lot of times I kind of had to coax the story out of them you know there was some mm-hmm. reticence there so that that makes me believe that they weren't telling it, you know, just for attention or just to
2: yeah. to
0: get a rise out of you. So,
2: yeah, fit, the, your fiction ones are great as well. But personally, I, I really like the true stories and and knowing stories from other people and what they've experienced. Sometimes it's like, oh wow, like it's 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 amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. And and what's really cool, a lot of times you will have people that are related to each other don't know each other in any fashion, and they've had similar experiences, maybe in different parts of the country, different amazing. parts of the world. I love stuff like that.
2: Yeah, The thing that I've always been fascinated with the paranormal, and I've said this countless times, is no matter the culture or religion or whatever, everybody has some kind of a paranormal story.
0: Oh, absolutely. Just It, it knows no cultural or oh. socioeconomic boundaries. Just any country, culture, religion, you're going to have ghosts, you're going to have UFO type sightings. You're going to have a Bigfoot or similar yep. creatures. It, it's amazing.
2: It is. It's just, it, you know they say death and taxes is what everyone has in common, but you can also add you know uh, paranormal experiences like you said, cryptids, <laughs> ghosts, UFO. It doesn't matter what it is, but everyone has that.
0: Mm-hmm. And the, the ones that get me on talk to people, sometimes they find out what I do, and they're like, oh, "I don't, I don't believe in that." I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's like. But there was this oh, one time everybody that, has. But there was this one time story
2: that cracks me up every time. <laughs> you know, you get this person who's diehard. Nope, nope, don't believe in it. And yeah, it's really funny. But it's nice how we can sometimes get people to open up and tell us their encounters.
0: And uh, I've I've gotten that email a lot. You know, people thanking me for for doing what I do and saying, you know, that that made me realize that I'm not the only one that's had this kind of experience and. It makes it easier for me to talk about it because a lot of people, you know, don't mm-hmm. want to discuss experiences they've had for fear of being branded crazy or on exactly. drugs or imagining <laughs> things or whatever. But yeah. I've, I've had experiences myself, and that's one reason why I don't discount anything. I mean, who am I to say what somebody did or didn't experience because I know my experiences are as real to me as theirs are to them.
1: hmm
2: Like I've had experiences as a child that I never really spoke a lot to anybody. And then a few years ago, I hear somebody with the same encounter on a podcast and I thought, they've seen it too. And, you know, it's just just amazing. So I I really love podcasts that talk about stuff like that. Because like you said, somebody who might not be talking about it to anybody will hear someone else had an experience and then they start opening up a little bit and they realize that they're not crazy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had experiences going back to childhood. I saw my first full-body apparition when I was six years old, and I didn't talk about it to anybody. It didn't scare me. It was just, you I know, huh, wonder what that was. And mm-hmm. years later, when I, I talked about it, I had a, a grandmother on my mother's side. She self-proclaimed gypsy witch very superstitious and knew all this strange folklore and things and she was really as a child the only one i could talk to about stuff like that and she'd just be like well it's because you're special and you'll see things that other people don't and don't let that bother you can't hurt you and so i had it and i kind of came by it honestly
2: Hmm. sort of (laughs) so so let's start there about the uh, when you were six and you saw the full body apparition
0: Yeah, I've I've told this a lot. I've probably told it on every show I've ever been on, but I'll I'll tell it for your audience. Uh, Yeah, I was out playing in the yard. We lived, um, our driveway was about 215 feet long, and I was pretty much in the middle of the yard, so 100 feet from the road. We lived at the the bottom of an inverted T intersection. I was waiting for a friend of mine to come home, and I I see a car coming down the hill to the stop sign. I first thought it was my friend, and when it stops, I, I realized it, it's not him, person I didn't recognize in the car. Well, all of a sudden, a toddler, I mean, we're talking maybe a year and a half old, two years old, comes out kind of from behind the car,
2: mm-hmm.
0: didn't get out of the car, but came from somewhere behind it, ran across in front of it, kind of catty-cornered. And I, I'm looking at, at watching all this. The driver, if uh, she saw it, it didn't register. The kid runs across the road, down into our yard, oh, maybe 10 or 15 feet, and if you've ever watched children that have just barely mastered walking, they'll start running and then can't really stop, and they'll just fall down. Mm -hmm. That's what this toddler did. He ran into our yard too fast, tripped, fell, and was gone. I mean, absolutely nothing. Just poof, gone. And I thought, you know, that's not supposed to happen. And I, I didn't take my eye off the spot. I walked straight to it. I was thinking, well, there's, there's maybe a hole or something here, which I knew better because I played all over the yard and knew where all the features were. But there was nothing there. There was no toddler, no hole. I even went and got a shovel and dug around to see if no I could way. find anything.
2: Wow.
0: Nothing there. And I just, to this day, I have no explanation for it. There <laughs> were... No toddlers that had passed away or anything that I'm aware of in the neighborhood to have been that type of ghost or haunting. But I, I saw it. I can still see in my mind what he was wearing out on little blue shorts and a white shirt and a blue cap, white shoes, blonde hair. And there, was, there were no kids around like that at the time, uh, even living. So, But like I said, it didn't really frighten me, but it intrigued me. It's just like, you know, that's not supposed to happen. Toddlers don't run into the yard and fall down and disappear. Yeah. And that, more than anything, I think, started me on my quest to the paranormal of looking into things and coming away with an understanding that there are things that can't be explained and things happen that aren't supposed to happen. And sometimes people see things that other people don't see. I mean, I saw the whole thing, but the person in the car, I don't think they saw a thing.
2: Hmm. Did Jerry see it again?
0: No. No. Nothing from that one, and that that area that we lived in down there was kind of strange. and years and years later, when I told my parents about it, uh, my dad was just like, I hmm, wonder what it was. <laughs> and my mom kind of cryptically she said, there was a lot of strange things that happened when we lived down there. but uh, at the time, she wasn't able to elaborate, and I never asked her about it, so I don't really know what kind of experiences she may have there, hmm. but it was it was an odd place
2: you can tell by their reaction that things have happened before because it didn't freak out or say, Oh, you know, it was your imagination. It's just, yeah. Oh yeah. Just one of those things again.
0: Yeah. They had both had unusual experiences. My dad had had some cryptid sightings and things when he was younger and, uh, an episode with some ghost kittens and my mom growing up in, in her family said my grandmother was, self professed witch, she told fortunes, she read Tea Leaves and Coffee Grounds. They regularly held seances and uh, what they called table tapping, which mm-hmm. is similar to using a table like a Ouija board and asking a yes or no questions and the table actually rise up on one side or the other and tap. Yeah. So my mom was well acquainted with that sort of thing. And <laughs> yeah. I had an interesting childhood.
2: And why do you think that some people and some families seem to have so many encounters and others don't?
0: I don't know if it's, I think it's one of those things that you don't necessarily choose it, that it chooses you.
2: Mm.
0: And just, uh, I think being open to it and being in that kind of environment, it kind of nurtures that ability. And one thing I've noticed that a lot of people that have had encounters or witnessed something unusual It started during childhood, Mm -hmm. and I think it's because when you're young like that, you haven't really learned that you're not supposed to accept it, You know that Mm -hmm. you're taught, oh, that can't happen, that's just your imagination, yada, 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 but when you're that small, you're more open to it, and I think being receptive like that, that's why, and if you're not taught to get rid of all that, then you just kind of take that along with you, and I think that's why in certain families where it's more open and, and they talk about it and have different beliefs and things, that there are more examples. Hmm.
2: Sometimes I wonder if everyone sees things, but some people it just doesn't register with them and they never say anything, and that's why some families say, no, we've never had weird encounters. And other families, like your family and um, hmm. countless others, this like, oh, yeah, my father, you know, his father, his mother, it's it just I don't know if it's a genetic thing or like a bloodline or if it's just yeah it,
0: it could very well be and uh, a lot of it um, obviously you know, from my voice I'm from the south I grew up down south <laughs> and uh, the south has a great oral tradition of, of mm-hmm. passing stories I mean before there was television or even radio that was what they did especially in the winter time when they couldn't be outdoors my dad's family, for example, they lived out in the absolute middle of nowhere in middle Tennessee in Fentress uh, County. And they would sit around the stove in the wintertime and tell stories. Hmm. And, you know, things that had happened and things they experienced. And and I, I think that's a lot of it, too. It just it comes along in that family or bloodline or whatever that that's your tradition is to, to pass stories along. The Native Americans have that tradition, too. And I'm Cherokee on my dad's side. So Again, I think I come by it all honestly.
2: Yes, sure sounds like it. Any other experiences you had as a child? Oh, that's or did too, I, too, or, <laughs> or did it ha- or, or did it happen later on? Or is there just too many?
0: There, there's a lot. Uh, there was uh, one of my uh, stories that I recently narrated for YouTube, and it's in my third book, uh, My Strange World, which is. An account of my own experiences. I started out, you know, I had all these other people's experiences in my first two books. And when I would go on uh, radio shows or podcasts, they would always say, well, well what, have you ever had any experiences? And I would tell two or three. And I started thinking about that. And I thought, I wonder if I've got enough to, to make a book out of it. And sure enough, when I sat down and started writing them out, I mean, it's not a huge book, but I, I did have enough stories to cover a book. But uh, the one I was going to get to, when I was eight, so this was just a couple years after I saw the, the kid disappear, a mm-hmm. uh, story on YouTube is called The Thing in the Ditch, and about an encounter I had with something that I couldn't see. Uh, I was in the woods. We lived on a mini farm. It was 26 acres, and I was playing near this old ditch. It was probably uh, 20, 30 feet across, about 10 feet deep. I was up near the edge of it, and I hear something in the leaves And I look, and whatever it was or wasn't comes up over the lip of the ditch and is headed straight toward me, but I couldn't see a thing. But there were leaves being kicked up in its wake. I mean, imagine something the size of a a human running through the leaves and and kicking them up at you and charging straight for you. Well, I screamed and ran down the hill and made – such a racket, my mom actually heard me coming was out on the back porch to see what all the fuss was about. And when I finally got calm enough to to tell what happened, she let my my father and and my brother know. So when they got in from work, they went up there to check it out. I wouldn't go near the place. And they could see where something had been in the leaves, but there was no trace of anything there. Hmm. Well, flash forward years later, I'm 15, and I pretty much stayed away from that area the whole time. There had been a couple times that I had a friend go up there with me and I would stay back, kind of hide behind a tree and send him up to the lip <laughs> of the ditch to see if it would chase him trying to bait it out. But it was smarter than that. Apparently and it didn't work. Well, I go back up there, 15, you know, I'm pretty much grown at this point, not afraid of anything. And I'm just like reminiscing and thinking, "You know, I wonder what that was that scared me when I was a kid up here. And sure enough, about the time I had gotten to the lip of the ditch and peered down in, turned to walk away, I hear that old familiar sound of something in the leaves. I turn around, comes up over the top, running straight for me again. Absolutely nothing I can see, but I can see where it's running. Mm -hmm. And I I didn't scream that time, but I did hurriedly go back down the hill. And uh, that was the last time I was ever up there. Now, flash forward again, another oh, seven or eight years or so, uh, I'm at a party after work. And um, the person I was with was the only person that I knew, and I just knew them from work. So it wasn't anybody that I was real acquainted with. And uh, there were some other people there, some girls that had uh, dug a Ouija board out from under the couch. Mm. And uh, the hostess allowed them to to mess with it. So they got it mm. out and they're playing with it. And they're going around the room asking people questions. But when they got to me, I just very simply stated, okay, what scared me when I was a child? And that was it. I didn't offer any more explanation. Nobody there knew either of those stories. And uh, the the Ouija board, I'll never forget this. It spells out W-A-T-E-R-S-P-R-I-T-E. Wow. And they're like, is it thirsty is it want some water is it mm-hmm. want a sprite what's it talking about and they're just laughing it off and I'm just you know shaking my head I don't know well the next day and this was before the internet and everything I went to the reference library and looked up water sprite and turns out it's it's an elemental or a fae type being uh, also known as a dryad or a naiad, mm-hmm. and it's um, that's what it does it protects things in the woods particularly near water well the the, well the other geographic features just a few yards from where this ditch was on our property there were seven natural springs that flowed into one and then into the lake so i you know that makes me think that it was some sort of elemental some sort of water spirit or something that chased me away from that ditch why i have no idea but
2: Hmm.
0: that's what i (laughs) that's what i've come to learn over the years
2: Wonder why it um, it showed itself sort of because you couldn't see it to you and not your friend. That's yeah, I, I've
0: never understood that, and said it didn't didn't bother my dad or my brother or anybody else that I ever knew of. It it liked me for some reason or didn't yeah. like me. Yeah, <laughs> extremely so.
2: Hmm. And you've never been back since.
0: No, haven't been back since the. The last time that I was chased away when I was 15 and we moved from there shortly after that.
2: Be interesting to find out if you could go back, if you'd see it again.
0: Yeah, I've often thought about it Would
2: you that. want to go back?
0: I, I actually would. I mean, as, as scared as I was, particularly the first time, that's one of the scariest encounters I've ever had. Hmm. I would like to go back. And uh, I've since heard that uh, those type of spirits often protect a treasure. And that Mm. was one of the other legends with um, where we lived there. The the ditch had actually been the dirt road through the area at one time, dating back to uh, the Revolutionary War period and beyond that. And there was a story that there was some gold that had been buried near those springs. Mm. So now I think maybe that spirit, you know, it's like. When pirates would bury treasure, they would often kill a crewmate so that the, their spirit would guard the treasure. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if maybe it's something like that, you know, that there's there's is something hidden there. I, I'd searched all over the area with a metal detector when I was in my teens and never found anything. But huh. technology's gotten a lot better. I'd like to go back and give it another go.
2: Yeah, and go and say, hey, remember me? <laughs> <laughs> maybe um, it... Um I don't want to say targeted you, but maybe it went after you because you're sensitive and maybe it knew that you'd be able to find something where somebody else wouldn't be able to.
0: That that could very well be. But it's all and, speculation. Uh, yeah, of course. But I, I always have been sensitive to things like that and empathic to a degree as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I have to watch where I go into and what I'm doing.
2: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, That that must have been... So terrifying! So being so young.
0: Oh yeah, I was. Like I said it's still one of the scariest, probably the scariest encounter I've ever had. I had another one that was very similar with some other type of cryptid. It was with a schoolmate that time, and we both saw that one, but pretty scared that time too.
2: Yeah, I think you mentioned that one in your show.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, the Beast of Swanson Lane. Is what I called it. It was. We were playing in an, an old shale pit there in. The area where his parents lived again. This was out in the middle of nowhere. Their driveway was like a mile long. They, they liked their privacy, and this was about halfway down old shell pit. The whole area had been a, a giant farm at one time, and there were still some ramshackle buildings standing around. Some in the process of falling down. And upon the bank above the shell pit, there was some little wooden structure, a little one-story thing that had just about fallen in on itself. Well. We're there in the shell pit, and all of a sudden, my friend just kind of stops and, and looks up, and I look up to see what he's looking at, and there's something staring at us from the window, this little broken-down shed. The only thing I can describe it, it was some kind of horse-human hybrid, like... A horse's head, but with human eyes and and a mouth full of really sharp teeth, mm. and the eyes were on the front of the head, which horses aren't; they're on the sides of their head. And it just it kind of grinned this like evil, <laughs> toothy grin, and we were both stunned. I mean, just into paralysis almost. And about the time that broke, he took off up the driveway, screaming his head off. I took off with him. We get to the the yard, almost the same type of circumstance. His parents had heard us coming up the driveway and came out Mm -hmm. to see what was going on. We calmed down breathlessly, recanted or retold our tale or told the tale. And uh, his father actually got a shotgun and went back down the hill to see what was down there. And we were just waiting, you know, just to hear gunshots and never heard anything. But his dad came back probably after about 15 or 20 minutes had the, the gun over his shoulder but he had this and i'll never forget just this weird look on his face and um we're like what was it what was it did you shoot anything did you kill it and he's like no nah. he's like just you guys don't need to play around down there anymore mm-hmm. and within a couple of weeks my friend told me that his dad had pulled uh, the shed off the hill down into the shell pit with his tractor and burned it. So apparently he saw something that Mm -hmm. he wouldn't discuss or, but he very, very sternly admonished us to never, never go down there and play. And we didn't I was at that friend's house several more times and we, (laughs) we stayed away from that area. There was too many other places we could go, but that was, was the only thing there that we saw. And my friend never had any other experiences there that I'm aware of.
2: Hmm. Was it bipedal? Bipedal?
0: <laughs> I, I think so because it was I basically just saw the the head
2: mm-hmm.
0: and uh I don't remember seeing any arms or anything, but the way it would have had to have stood to look out the window, it would have had to have been standing on two legs. Mm-hmm. And I left out the part it was <clears throat> almost seemed to be wearing like a hood or a cloak with a with a, an X above the eyes. Hmm. I mean that, that makes it even stranger. I know, but and uh, we both sat down independently of one another sometime later and drew what we remembered seeing, and it was very similar, almost exactly the same.
2: Have you and, ever done Have you ever done research to see what creature it could have been? Liz, if it was a cryptid or anything?
0: I've I've looked at some stuff, and the only thing that kinda reminds me of it is a Wendigo, although mm-hmm. I didn't see any antlers, that doesn't mean it, it didn't have any. But mm-hmm. you now the strange part about this was the the dad that was so unnerved that, that tore the shed down and burned it, he was full Cherokee. Mm. And so, you know, they, they believe in the Wendigo and the, mm-hmm. the skinwalkers and stuff. So and I didn't put that together until years later. I didn't know about Wendigo or anything like that at the yeah. time. But uh after doing some research, I kinda think it was something like that, some sort of Native American spirit or some kind of really bad juju that we didn't want to mess with or that he didn't yeah. want us messing with. And he knew because he'd grown up on a reservation. And so he, again, they have this wonderful tradition of passing these mm-hmm. stories down. So he probably knew what it was or heard stories of, of that type of creature. Something was why he warned us not to go down there.
2: Hmm. And prior to seeing that, had you been up there before?
0: Oh, yeah. Not yeah. Anytime. Uh, this was one of my best friends from second grade up until high school. And uh, we often visited each other's houses and we'd been in the shell pit before. That was why we were there that time. We they were looking for fossils because we would occasionally yeah. find uh, bones and things in there. So uh, who knows what we may have disturbed.
2: Yeah. Makes me wonder why you didn't see anything before. But like you said, you might have disturbed something.
0: Well, that that was one of the things, like I said, we often found fossils and things. And right before we saw that, I found what I thought was a, a jawbone, like from a, a cow or some type of farm creature. Hmm. And, I, and I didn't remember that part until much later when I kept thinking back and trying to recount all this. And uh, that was, I had just pulled that out of the, the rocks when... I noticed something was wrong with my friend and he's just standing there and eyes are huge and mouth open. And then I look up to see what he's looking at. And then I saw it. Hmm. So I don't know if that was a connection or coincidence or
2: yeah.
0: what, but that was the last time we ever looked for fossils in the shell pit.
2: <laughs> don't blame you. <laughs>
0: wow. But that's another place that I would love to go back to someday. Hmm. And, uh, I'm sure it's changed a lot. I haven't lived in that area for 15 years and haven't been to that particular friend's house probably in 30 something years. So
2: Are you still in knows? contact with him?
0: I I haven't spoken to him in at least 20 25 years.
2: Yeah. It would be neat to uh, get in touch with them just to say, "Hey, remember that time? What's there now?" Yeah,
0: I I've, I've thought about that like maybe do a little interview with him. I
2: remember that thing we
0: saw when when we were kids. Tell yeah. me about what you remember again, and see.
2: Yeah, that would be see interesting. How he feels about
0: it. Let me do that. I'll, I'll mark that down.
2: Yeah, it would be interesting to see what you remember and what he remembers, and if it's the same thing, or if one of you remembers something and the other one says, "Oh yeah, I forgot about that."
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's that experience is unique, and that was probably about the only time that I had somebody else with me that saw the same thing that I did. Now, I'm not counting things like the Brown Mountain Lights, which I've seen with a group of people, and mm-hmm. I've had experiences in haunted places that, that other people saw and heard as well. So, but, but that one was, I mean, that was a solid, frightening experience and a total witness there with me, so.
2: Hmm. Fascinating. If ever you go back, you have to let me know if you find anything. Oh, uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what else? I know you have all kinds of things.
0: oh wow, there's just there, there's so many stories I mean <laughs> of, of other people and uh, of my own personal experience. one that um uh, was remarkable and i I've, I've never published this one, but I was talking to a, a gentleman about experiences that he had had, and he talked about how and i I did write about this in my book of my own personal experiences. And he talked about how, at Christmas time, he would always see a, a little white gossamer feather floating around in his house. Mm. And that um, and he told me how he came to think this, and I've forgotten those details, but he said that it was his grandfather. That uh, I think his grandfather even told him that, after I die, I'm gonna come back and visit you, and I'll come back as a feather. So he would see this this feather around the holidays, and he knew that it was his grandpa coming to visit. And that was one of those things. And when I heard it, I was just stunned because I'd had almost identical experience as a child. Really? The, the, the room where we set up our Christmas tree and things, my mom called that the good living room. Mm-hmm. That was for company. You, you stayed out of there if you knew what was good for you if you were a kid. <laughs> you could play anywhere else in the house. But uh, around the holiday, and I, I could study in there. I could do my homework in there because the lighting was really good, as long as I didn't put my feet on the furniture or anything. <laughs> but uh, around the holidays, that was where we had our Christmas tree because we had these big picture windows in the front of the house. And probably from the time I was three or four on up until probably about 11 or 12, basically until I got big enough that I could probably have caught it. I would see this little feather when I was in there around the holidays looking at the Christmas tree. And it would always float up near the ceiling. And we had ceiling heat, which there's no air or anything. It's rods in the ceiling that that heat up. So if anything, there should have been a Mm downdraft. But this little feather would float up near the ceiling just out of reach. And I even broke protocol, which my mom would have killed me for if she had known. I climbed on the back of the couch and on the chairs and everything trying to get this feather, and it would always stay just out of reach. I would never see it any other time of year and like I said, when I got big enough to where I I could have caught it, it, I never saw it again. And when that guy told that story, you know, it was one of those where I just wanted to shout, yeah, me too. But I just, I felt like it took away. You know, it's like, he's thinking, yeah, okay, this is, you know, my Favorite paranormal experience, and you're going to say it happened to you, too. So I didn't say anything, but it really did. And it was amazing because I never told that story to anybody. And here's somebody with almost exactly the same story. And after that, I always wondered, well, was it my grandfather? Uh, I never knew either one of my grandfathers. My dad's father died years before i was born mm-hmm. and my mom's father passed away when i was like six months old so i don't remember anything yeah. about him so maybe it was my grandfather coming back as a little white gossamer feather to float around who knows
2: huh. yeah i've heard a lot of encounters with uh, or experiences with the feathers i don't think i've ever had one but maybe i have and i just didn't register it that way
0: yeah, now, I've had that happen before, you know, where you just, you see one floating around outside, but I never, yeah. never considered it anything possibly as paranormal until, you know, I kind of started thinking about it, putting it together, and went, who knows, you know? <laughs> yeah,
2: good thing your mother didn't walk in as you're standing on the back of the coach. Oh, man,
0: <laughs> I, the feather would have been the least of my worries. Yeah, I would have, I would have, my mom believed in corporal punishment, I would have <laughs> got a paddling and, uh, to her credit, I, I deserved every paddling I ever got and <laughs> deserved a lot more than I ever got, too.
2: <laughs> Boys. <laughs> yeah. So what, tell us, you wrote um, how many books now?
0: Uh, that's uh, three that I've published uh, that I co-authored Sisko's uh, book with her. Mm-hmm. About we're All Children in the Wilderness of the Afterlife. Uh, haunted i got a tour through a haunted life sorry that's her that title's a mouthful i <laughs> trip up on it sometimes i co-authored that with her uh basically just went through and wrote like she basically had the idea to have me write it afterward for each chapter which is, is what i did so it turned out really well and then i've got at least three more books in various stages of completion that i haven't published uh there's one of just pure ghost stories there's another about uh Ghosts and Strange Happenings Along the Appalachian Trail. And uh, the third one, which is almost complete, I mean, like 99% complete, is about uh, mysteries of the Smoky Mountains. And uh, actually, I've narrated some of those stories before I published the book. So if you want to preview that one, go to my YouTube channel and uh, listen to the stories about uh, the great Smokies. I've got several of them on there.
2: And what's your YouTube channel, just so the listeners know where to find it?
0: Thirteen past midnight, okay, and nice. uh, thir- thirteen is spelled out. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, folks, I suggest you check out that YouTube channel because, like I said, he's got some really interesting stories there and narrations, and I, I really enjoy your YouTube channel.
0: Well, thank you. And like I said, I have have fun doing it, and yes. I've had some requests uh, to branch out, and I may start covering uh true crime and uh, nice. disappearances and things like that. I Wrote um, magazine articles concerning true crime back in the '90s, so I've got a whole decade or more worth of archives that I can dig through there and, and get some good stories that maybe haven't seen a lot of press.
2: Oh yeah, and who knows? or um, uh, are they unsolved?
0: Uh, for the most part, unless it was something where I was talking about a, a major case, you know, where they mm. had caught and prosecuted some. Buddy, But uh, I have a lot of unsolved stuff, and especially some of the disappearances and things. And I know David Polite has excellent series, uh, The Missing 411. Those are just fascinating. Uh, Steph Young has uh, got some really frightening tales of people that have gone missing or turned up dead after being missing but under unusual circumstances so Hmm. may kind of throw my hat into that ring because that's something that that interested me really from the time i was a child Um, the the dennis martin case uh, the little boy who disappeared in the great smoky mountains that's david polaitis has done extensive research on that case and that was one of my first knowledge of a missing person i was just a year younger than dennis and it happened in, he lived in the town that I lived in and disappeared in the mountains where, from Cades Cove, where my family often went. So that was the first time, I think, when, as a child, I had that realization that, you know, sometimes bad things happen to kids. Mm-hmm. And in my little five-year-old mind, I even went out and, and looked through uh, our woods for him, you know, just, really? what he wandered down here, even though it was, you know, an hour away or so, it's yeah. just, in my head, you know. And you were five? Yeah.
2: Wow, brave.
0: So that, that, that one always stuck with me, and uh, it's just a sad case, really. I mean, there were no trace of him ever found. There was one footprint I think they saw that they thought might have been his, but uh, as happens in a lot of these cases where people go missing, the weather went bad almost mm-hmm. immediately and torrential rainfall. But at that way. time, it was the biggest manhunt that the, the Smokies had ever had. Hmm no trace of him and his father just whom I met before he's, he's a friend of a friend he was just I mean absolutely broken.
2: I can As you can
0: imagine he, he passed away Halloween I think about two or three years ago. And I was just thinking you know Dennis would have been like in his 40s maybe 50 years old by that time and for the father to have to live you know all those decades with absolutely no closure
1: yeah. and he
0: even said I'd be happy you know, find a body, anything Yeah. at this point, just to know, you know, but there was never, never any trace.
2: Wow. Yeah. We've had some tragedies in my community here recently, and I don't know what's worse finding the body of your child or not knowing where they are and maybe having a little bit of hope thinking maybe they're still alive and they're okay. So I, I don't know.
0: And that was what Mr. Martin said. He says, I've always dreamed that one day, you know, there'd be a knock at the door and I'd go and there'd be some man that looked kind of familiar and it'd be like, dad, it's me. Yeah. And you know, sadly that never happened. But yeah, you were telling me about the people that washed away or drowned there.
2: Yeah. It's, uh, it's, we've had a lot of bad flooding here and a couple of teens went missing. So yeah. one, one sadly was found, um, and it wasn't under a good circumstance and the other one, they still don't know. So
0: yeah, I just, Oh yeah. I, I, couldn't do that I I actually helped look for a body one time and I was thankful that I wasn't the one that found it it was up in uh, Kentucky at Cumberland Falls State Park a girl had gotten too close to the edge went over the falls Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and they were looking for the body and I was in part of the crew that walked down the the river there looking for and they actually ended up finding her a couple miles farther down than where I was looking for but I mean every step is the way it's like I want to find her, but I don't want to find her. You yeah, know? exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah. Wow. So get, getting back to um, um, some of the, the crime, the true crimes, um, you hear people sometimes talking about special, I don't, know, I don't want to call them special forces, but there'd be a, a separate detachment from various police um that would handle just the weird, what could potentially be paranormal. Do you think those actually exist?
0: Uh, I think they do. You know, kind of like the, the X-Files type yeah. thing, warehouse 13.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, I think so. I, I have had a, a friend that I, I went to school with whose dad was, uh, I don't want to give away too much here because I don't know what position he might be in there now, but he was very high up in the FBI and he would talk about stuff that he had seen that just didn't make, any sense, or maybe had some sort of almost supernatural or occult mm-hmm. element to it. And I, he didn't come right out and say it, but he kind of hinted that there were specialists that they would call in for stuff like that. Because, you know, it's not unknown for the the local police and even higher up to the, the, the federal guys to occasionally use psychics and things mm-hmm. when they're they're working on cases. Because you get to a point where you've exhausted all your leads and you've done all your due diligence and forensics and things. And maybe, you know, just maybe mm-hmm. it doesn't hurt to listen to these people and, and see, because there, there have been some breaks and some cases that came from psychics.
2: Yeah. I've heard of some police officers who just um, don't even want to bother with psychics, but others, even though they don't believe in it, they're going to say, well, let's give it a try. Cause you never know. And we're yeah. willing to try anything
0: absolutely and um, I've done a lot of cops and a lot of medical professionals Mm -hmm. that have had you know supernatural or or strange experiences and I think anybody that that works in life or death situations like that or or sees the aftermath of violent crimes and horrific injuries and things that that kind of goes along with the territory
2: Mm. for sure so you know I don't know have you done investigating paranormal investigating
0: uh, I have, I had a, a group that, that did that sort of thing back in probably 85 or so, before it was a thing, mm. before it was in vogue. I had a, a group that would, would go out, we didn't call it that at the time, but it was like the, the ghost hunting and things yeah. that, that people do now, but, you know, 35 years ago or <laughs> something. But mm. um, it was not so much as investigating as it was just going out you know and enjoying being in spooky creepy places and mm-hmm. seeing if we could experience anything uh we did have a, a couple of like micro cassette recorders this was the 80s we didn't, didn't yeah. have the technology and stuff that's available now but i would love to go back to some of the places i've been with some of the new things that are available and uh i'm kind okay of, i've been studying these uh the voice boxes and things mm-hmm. i don't I'm still kind of in the middle on that, where the the ones like where it scans the radio frequencies Mm -hmm. and occasionally you you hear words out there. But, you know, if you're scanning radio broadcasts, you're going to hear words and bits of words. But then I've seen video of where whatever they seem to be communicating with is like using that to put together words that answer questions that's being posed to it. So it's like, hmm, okay, (laughs) I'm not going to discount that. It can't work through some sort of electrical device like that.
2: Yeah, the team that I'm with, uh, we use the uh, spirit box as well as the ovulus, and I don't like the spirit box just because it's it's annoying and hurt. It gives me a headache because you hear the, you know. Yeah. But I and I was always, you know, how how is this supposed to really work? But there's a few instances where it was just too coincidental that. You know that one incident. We're um, we're investigating a place here called Buck Hill, and um, it came through. They're coming, and we're like, they're coming. Says yes, two, and I'm like, what are you talking about? And all of a sudden, down the hill, two police cars come down, because a lot of teenagers wow. would go would go there drinking, <laughs> looking for the, the 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 spirits, right? And mm-hmm. so they would patrol the area every once in a while just to make sure that everybody's safe. And yeah. uh, they see a bunch of, you know, they see us here. So, yeah, they're coming, too. Like, okay, one officer per car, like two vehicles. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <It's>
1: like, well, <laughs> and you know, like maybe. you said,
0: that's just a little too focused to mm-hmm. be entirely coincidental.
2: Yeah, and same thing with the Ovilus. Um, I always wondered, you know, it's pre-programmed. You can put, depending on which unit that you get, uh, you, it can be 3,000 words. It could be more than that. And at first I thought, well, you're pre-programming it. Of course, it's just going to spit out maybe random words. But again, during investigations, we—it's it, just uncanny how you ask a particular question, and it would actually give you um, a word or two, and re- pertaining to what you just asked. hmm So you know there has to be something to it. How it works, I have no idea.
0: Yeah. Again, so I can't discount anything. I've I've seen the Ouija board do stuff like that. And, yeah. So if that can do it, then why not something electronic?
2: Exactly, yeah. And they say that, um, and again, it's all pure speculation because no one really knows for sure, but they say the spirits are energy, so why not? They, may, they might be able to manipulate communication devices.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But again, pure speculation. But yeah. it would be nice to know for sure. <laughs>
0: there's a, there's a lot of things though, with the paranormal that I think the fun is actually in the hunt, and yeah, anything I've ever been involved yeah. with, I walked away with more questions than answers, <laughs> but I yeah. think that's just the nature of it. The more you you learn, the more you know, the more you find out that you don't know. A lot. Mm-hmm. Soraya Ascath, who has the Where the Road Go show, he has an analogy of a paranormal being an onion that, you know, you peel back a layer, mm. there's another layer, and beyond that, more layers, and you never quite get to the center.
2: I've heard Cisco say that often. The
0: paranormal yeah, That's one onion. of her favorite analogies, yeah. too. Yeah. And uh, another one that uh, Soraya likes is like, it's like the paranormal is like trying to put together a puzzle. You don't know how many pieces there are, and you don't have a picture on the outside of the box to know where they go.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I, I think that's a very apt analogy too.
2: For sure, and I've heard. I've also heard other people use the analogy for the puzzle. Say sometimes you have puzzle pieces from other puzzles, <laughs> and you're trying to put it together, and it just doesn't yeah, make sense.
0: Five puzzles in one box. <laughs>
2: yeah, right, and no picture. <laughs> well, so do you have any um, upcoming projects on the go?
0: Uh, right now, I'm just just working on my YouTube channel. I've mm-hmm. got those um, books in the works that I mentioned. I'm working on some film scripts. Uh, nice. I was approached uh, about the availability of the rights to my first two books, and uh, the movie rights are available. But I one concession that I wanted, I wanted to write the script. So. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, let's let's see what you can come up with. And the idea they had was presented almost like a, a trail Tales from the Crypt type story where some of the best stories are presented in little vignettes, like mm-hmm. maybe a main theme came through it. So I'm working on that. I don't want to say a whole lot and, and yeah. jinx it before it gets off the ground, but uh, I'm, so I'm anxiously working on that, and then I've got some, some other ideas in the mix but yeah right now it's just I I write every day and I try to put out two or three videos a week and it keeps me busy
2: nice good luck on the scripts that's uh, I hope if it goes through that um, you that it really stays like they don't try and deviate and make it a little bit more entertaining you know just you know what I mean
0: well I'm I'm sure there'll be some embellishment just for for entertainment value but and since I'm getting the stories that I'm, I'm putting in the script, I'm trying to pick ones that are already pretty fantastical that won't require a lot of embellishment. And mm-hmm. also, kind of pushing for them to uh, to film it in uh, Middle Tennessee, where a lot of those stories mm-hmm. actually come from, just to add an air of legitimacy to it. But then again, it could could be in the mountains or the hills anywhere, and it would still look good. Yeah, I, but uh, I would know the difference. But, uh, yeah, like I said, I'm trying to pick stories that, that translate well to film, and a lot of them just, you know, b- because of the way some of the things happen and whatnot, it it wouldn't even require a lot of special effects. Some of them would, some of them wouldn't. It mm-hmm. just, it depends. So, yeah, mm-hmm. like I said, I'm interested to see where it goes. I, I would love to sell it as a script package, and then I can get my Writer's Guild card and move to Los Angeles and uh, – <laughs> Yeah, uh, script doctor for hire.
2: And don't forget us little people.
0: <laughs> I'll, I'll bring you all on board when I start my production company.
2: That'll be awesome. And if ever you need you filming Canada, let me know.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of lot of films there. That's a lot of
2: yeah. activity
0: in Canada. No uh, the later um, seasons of the X-Files they filmed in Canada for yep.
2: uh, uh, tax purposes yeah it really um with some like shows like supernatural uh really gave a boost to coming to canada to film tv shows and movies and, and whatnot and it's uh, it you know it's been great
0: yeah they uh they filmed grim here in portland so that that was a lot oh, of I fun that. I, yeah i got to there was a couple times i'd be out and i'd see they had the streets blocked off and lights up and stuff and i watched but yeah a lot of the the external locations, Grammar, are right here in Portland.
2: Hmm. Interesting. Used to love that show.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, well, we're almost at the end, so why don't you give our listeners where we can find you and if they want to contact you?
0: Okay, well, I'm, I'm on Facebook, uh, Steve Stockton. Uh, there's a couple of us with that name, but you'll be able to, to pick mine out. And uh, I'm on Twitter, I I'm having presence on Twitter, and my handle on there is strange and odd and uh, my emails always at, uh, at the end of my books steve stockton and the number is one at gmail.com i love hearing stories i love hearing people that have read my books or have something they'd like to share and now my youtube channel 13 past midnight
2: and that's 13 not the number it's written yeah out. it's
0: written out
2: yeah, yeah. great I'll also add the links uh, to the show, like to the show notes. So if anybody um, wants to just click on those links, they'll be able to contact you. And Great,
0: have, and yeah. I, I appreciate you having me on. It's been fun. You said it took us a while to get here, but it has. It was, it was definitely worth, it. worth worth the wait. The yes. time has flown by, and I just I'm, I'm looking forward to to sharing this with with my friends and, and fans when it's released.
2: Me too. Well, you take care, and thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Talk to you later.
0: Goodbye.
2: Bye. Well, we've made it to the end of another episode. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, take care of each other. And if you'd like to be on the show or have questions and comments, just drop me an email, paranormalheart13 at gmail.com.